reaching a crisis point in Washington State. A lot of these issues that we've been talking about a lot on this program for years now are coming to a head and family farms are closing. Uh, We've talked the last couple of weeks about the new documentary, Losing the Farm, about uh, Cascade Farms and Jeff and Diana on the the program uh, with us a couple of weeks ago. Heartbreaking story, but theirs is not the only story. There are too many, far too many stories of families, uh, multi-generational family farms that under the current conditions here in Washington State cannot go on. What is happening? Well, if you have been listening to this program, you probably have an idea because we talk about each week we talk about the the pressures. Farming already has a lot of pressures with weather, with markets, you know, who knows what the price is going to be for a lot of things goes up and down, not up very much, mostly stays the same. And costs go up and up and up. And that, that's where some of the problems really start to get going. You know, everybody's experienced inflation. Farmers have obviously not been sheltered from that either. And when the costs of their business go up and up and up, but the price that they get for their food that they produce doesn't, well, eventually you can do the math on that. Even, even math challenged me can figure that out that doesn't work forever that 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 trend can't continue forever so you have those pressures and then on top of it like we talk about a lot on this show the regulatory pressures the state you know for years we've heard about you know other sectors of the economy and our society talking about unfunded mandates from the government and that's what a lot of this stuff amounts to things that are costly for businesses to deal with but no way for them to recoup that cost. And they have razor thin margins already. Suddenly that margin is gone or upside down. That's what's happening. And families are saying, whoa, we can't do this anymore. This is the Farming Show, by the way. Welcome on a Saturday morning. I'm Dylan Honkoop with you here on KGMI. And joining us is someone who shared her heartbreaking story of, of her family's of family farm's closure Uh, before lawmakers in Olympia just within the past, well, less than a month. And it was emotional. And this is, again, right in line with the the emotional stuff that we've been sharing with losing the farm and the Cascade Farm story. There are many other farms like this, but joining me right now is April Clayton uh, of Red Apple Orchards. She, She was a guest years back when I had just started my podcast, Real Food, Real People, uh, that I've shared with you on the program many times here. Um, got to know her back then. Cool little operation that they had going on there in Orondo, Washington. These are the kinds of farmers that we want in this state that people love. And April, you guys had to make a hard decision just this year. Like how, how recently did you si- decide that you can't keep doing what you were doing? This year, when we got our return, our Terry returns back. So in November, we saw the writing on the wall. But then once December hit, we're like, okay, we just, we can't afford this. Our cherry returns for last year is only going to cover one month of chemicals. 
there's no way we can continue to farm that way. So we decided to lease our orchard so at least we could keep our land, keep our crew in their homes. But the way inflation and the returns have dropped, it's just, it's not matching up. And this isn't just my farm. These are farms all, like you said, all across Washington state. We're going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately. And I really wish we could stop the turn. I've got to step back just a second because I know that there are always, you know, the folks in the peanut gallery think that they often think that they know how to run someone's business better than the person who's been running the business for generations. And so <laughs> even, <laughs> even what you do, and you've seen the social media comment, well, why didn't you do this? And you should have done that. And farmers markets, this and that, and it, you, in, in their minds, it's all simple. And you just need to do these things that they've heard from other people's talking points on. So I'm going to throw one of those right back at you um, because you said, you know, cherry returns only covered one month worth of, you know, fertilizer crop protection products. Uh, and I know there will be people who right away would say, well, why don't you go organic? And that's the reality is your farm is an organic orchard, right? Correct. Correct. And I don't think people realize that an organic farm is actually three times more expensive to run than a conventional farm. We have to spray actually three times more. So that means three times more chemicals, three times more gas that tractor is going through. So it's actually a lot more expensive to do organic. And that's why our cherries are conventional, because we couldn't afford to do organic cherries anymore because the returns weren't there. So a few years ago, we switched to conventional on cherries and we're still organic apples, but it's, it's an expense. And, you know, some people say, well, cut back the cost on your chemicals. Well, if we do that, the soil health, the tree health starts to deteriorate and that's no good either. Uh, you're busting multiple myths right there. And one being that uh, organic means you don't spray um, products on, 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 on your crop. And that is a reality of organic farming as well as conventional farming. It's just different products that are used. Um, and, and so there goes one of these peanut gallery arguments of, well, you would save so much money if you went organic. That's what some people have been led to believe by talking heads out there, uh, people with, you know, little snippets on Instagram and TikTok about, you know, how the world should work. The reality isn't, isn't that clean, that simple. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, April Clayton of Red Apple Orchards in Orondo, Washington. They decided to close. Yeah, just, just let people know uh, about your farm. You're, not, you're a small farm as far as, as orchards and, and tree fruit go here in Washington State. Talk about what you, you know, guys do real quick and, and what's going to happen. Yeah, so we run about 150 acres. It's about uh, 80 acres of apples and about 55, 60 acres of cherries. Um, we have a full-time crew of between 11 and 13 people. And for harvest, we can hire as many as 50 people. Um, we're, like I said, we're organic apples. Um, we pride ourselves on having really high quality fruit and also having, you know, a really good relationship with our crew. There is a 25,000 person labor deficit here in Washington state alone. And we approximately play all across the board, uh, mm. roughly the same for harvest wage and it happens to be whatever the h2a wage is but we know since we all pay the same it's the relationship with your crew and having good housing so that 
they want to return to your farm each year. So we've prided ourselves on that and it's been great. But now the state has enforced this ag overtime and we simply can't afford it. So all this time that we've spent building up, you know, good relations with our crews has just fallen apart because we can no longer afford to pay them. And a lot of them are saying because of this overtime, they're going to bypass Washington State altogether and go to Oregon or I mean, Oregon, but um, Idaho and Canada, Mm -hmm. where the wage is actually much lower than it is here in Washington State. But because they're guaranteed more hours, they prefer that. They're away from home. They're not here to vacation. Mm -hmm. They want to work as many hours as they can so they can send money back home, you know, in California or Mexico or wherever it may be. So this is really a disservice that Washington State legislator has done to the farmers here. So you're talking about migrant workers in the U.S. or are we talking about guest workers coming from other countries, including Mexico? Believe it or not, it's both. We Mm. have never been able to afford the H-2A system because of housing, but we have a crew that comes up from Woodland, California every year, and they have told us they are going to stop making this truck. Interesting. So our worker shortage is only going to get worse because of the overtime legislation. You would think, you know, the the basic logic that, that someone from the outside, and I've said this a lot here on The Farming Show, that, you know, people think, hey, you know, overtime, that, that's going to be a great thing, right? Um, workers will make more money. It's pretty straightforward. And, 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 you know, the arguments go on from there for the proponents of this idea. You know, it's about fairness and dignity and everybody else gets this overtime. And so workers should as well. But now we have a, a scenario, not only where is this is hurting workers, but it's going to lead to more of a worker shortage because workers will just be saying, forget it. We aren't going to deal with overtime in Washington. Again, from the simple logic, if you don't understand how farming really works, you would think workers would be flocking to Washington for not only our higher minimum wage to begin with, but then a guarantee of time and a half uh, overtime pay over 40 hours a week. But it's actually the polar opposite of that Uh, what what are are, i'm sure your workers are expressing a lot of frustration about this they're expressing a lot of frustration over this especially when you consider agriculture is based on outside work so we're based on what what the weather does so during the winter when it snows or is below 18 degrees our crews isn't working So they can make up those times of slow work during the winter, during the summer. And now we've just cut that off from them. So they are very, they are seeing a dramatic uh, slip in their paycheck because they expect to make more money during the summer and spring when work, when there's work to be done. And we've essentially kneecapped that and said, no, that's not going to happen anymore. And basically it's not that we don't want to pay our farmers this, but you can't get blood from a turnip. There's no Mm -hmm. money out there. My Apple returns on Gala last year was, was um, $78 for 900 pounds of apples. So if you consider that minimum wage is going to be approximately $20 an hour this summer, so that means overtime is going to be $30 an hour. So it takes two hours to pick one bin. That's $60 right there. That's $17 left over to pay for housing, payroll tax, chemicals, land tax there that won't cover it it that that's yeah. that's no good 16 dollars so, to cover everything else right or 18 yeah. and and i've actually heard of people's returns being less than 60 dollars this year so there are some farmers who are seeing returns that won't even cover the price of picking it 
upside down just from harvest not all the other costs around the entire rest of the year that that is insanity and it's no wonder that family farms like yours are shutting down and this is where the chickens are coming home to roost from the decisions that have been made in Olympia that these costs keep getting ratcheted up. And, you know, we've been warning about it for years. And I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, farmers just like to complain. They always complain. They, they always figure out a way. Uh, just charge more for your food. Uh, you know, make people pay more for your food. We've talked many times on this program about how that doesn't work. Um, that, that farmers are at the bottom of the food system chain their price takers meaning they have to take the price that they get they don't get to make the price they don't get to set the price they have to take what the market will bear and if they can't match a price of somebody else somewhere else in the country who can produce more cheaply or somewhere likely somewhere else in the world that's what we're seeing here locally with raspberry and and blueberry growers competing with fruit from all over the world that can be produced you know, at pennies on the dollar compared to what it costs to produce here in places like Peru or Chile or Eastern Europe or different places like that. You don't, you have to, you have to hit that price. Otherwise you aren't going to sell anything. And it is what it is. Some of those numbers that you had there, April, I think are, should be shocking to people and probably are number one, 900 pounds in, in a bin of fruit. That's a lot of fruit, right? And, so, and and you're saying it takes somebody a couple of hours to to harvest that. But okay, a lot of fruit, great. Somebody, I think it's impressive. I you know always impressed by the work of farm workers and how quickly they can make stuff happen and get fruit in the bin or in the flat or whatever you know it is that they're harvesting. Uh, I'm used to the flats of raspberries over here, not big huge bins of apples. But regardless, they move fast, get it done quick, but. But wait a second, $78 and you're you're hearing some people getting less than that for that much fruit. Think about what you pay at the the store, folks. If you you go and pay, you know, it, it's obviously quite a bit more than that. Well, think about what the farmer is getting now. Only $78 out of 900 pounds of fruit. And this is for the high quality, the good stuff that the Claytons grow over there. Yeah, and then this on is top, an organic bin of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is the, the higher end stuff. And then, you know, another number that you threw out there, April, that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with is 20 bucks an hour. I mean, a lot of people think farming must be minimum wage, or some people think that it's even below minimum wage, which isn't true at all. It's not legal. Uh, that's not what's happening. But you couldn't get workers probably for that amount, right? People just wouldn't do it because the prevailing wage, not in a legal sense, but in a practical sense, that's out there. If, if you aren't paying that much, somebody, you know, a worker is going to say, see, ya, we're going to the next farm down the road. And actually, that happens all the time, um, especially when one crew gets behind, they'll raise the hourly wage by a quarter or two. And you'll see a lot of people move from farm to farm based on wage. So we try to keep it all the same. And this year, it's looking to be about $20. 
starting. And that includes housing too. I think a lot of people forget that since we have this migrant crew that's only here for a short period of time, that we provide housing. And that's yeah. not cheap either. And that's not included on top of that $20. So yeah. there's a lot of extra hidden <laughs> inside costs that unfortunately a lot of people who aren't in agriculture just don't see or understand. Yeah. From a distance, they think you're paying minimum wage and zero benefits, which isn't true at all. Like you're saying, I'm, I'm housing, that's a huge benefit. Um, and 20 bucks an hour, that, that's not a terrible wage um, for a labor kind of position. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, the, the H-2A guest worker program continues to inflate those wages, right? Because the, the higher minimum wage that's required, uh, which is going to be, I think, 1925 uh, this year, uh, per hour for, for H2A guest workers is required under the federal program, um, in Washington state anyway, that essentially becomes the de facto minimum wage for farm work across much of the state, right? It does. Exactly. I farm next to two large um, companies who use the H-2A. So they will pay their crew the H-2A wage. And so we will at least have to match it, if not raise it, in order to ensure crews since we don't have H-2A. So we're going to be looking at the domestic workforce. And as we're said, because of the um, overtime, a lot of that worker isn't yeah. coming this way. So that the, the overtime combined with the low prices, we just figured we couldn't afford to farm anymore. If we took mm. out an operating loan to continue to farm, we don't have the guarantee like we did in the past that our fruit is going to even make a profit. I mean, I've mm. heard people last uh, summer, their cherry crops, who were charged. Can you imagine being a farmer, bringing your fruit into the shed and then turn around and having the shed say, oh, for the pleasure of selling it, you you owe us this amount of money now. So, Crazy. Yeah. And they so had to I, pay to produce fruit. Sheds. Correct. So all of their expenses plus pay the people who are supposed to give them money. And this is just, it's going to get worse unless we put some brakes on, at least we get some more controls. What we need is farmers to be at the table when our fruit gets sold. Yeah. I don't think people realize that either. We don't have any control over what happens to our fruit once it happens, once it goes to the packing shed. They decide what it gets sold for. Yeah. They make sure their costs are covered, not ours. And one other myth that I hear a lot of people saying is, well, why don't you just take your fruit to a farmer's market? That's great. I love it. But at a farmer's market, I'm not going to be able to move a million pounds of apples. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about for about 80 acres. You know, that's fine for, you know, five acres, but not for 80 acres. So the small yeah. farmers like me who aren't boutique farmers, we're the ones feeling the crunch right now pretty bad. Yep. It's the the small and medium sized commercial uh, producers out there. We're just about out of time. 30 seconds left with April Clayton here on the farming show on KGMI. What are you guys going to do? We're going to lease and pray and hope that one day we can get back into it. We're going to help the people leasing it so that it's profitable for them. Because if the lease doesn't work for them, our next option is going to be selling. And that's, that's just, that's going to be beyond heartbreaking. So you aren't going to farm the land anymore. You're going to try to lease it. And then that's what you're left having to do. And then if you sell it, what would it be for? I mean, is your land the kind of land where houses would go up? 
Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, we have some we have some better trees with some better planting and irrigation. So most likely my orchard will be sold as orchard land. But there's okay. about 16 acres of cherries that have little cherry virus. So those will probably get wiped out and be turned into houses. And that is what's happening. Food production yep. is leaving the state. Our food is going to come from somewhere else if these kinds of policies, this these kinds of trends continue. And this beautiful farmland, this productive, fertile land that we have here in Washington State uh, that's been producing food for generations is going to be paved over and houses are going to be put on it, which is a lose, lose, lose. It's a loss for our community. It's a loss for the environment. It's a loss for food. It, it's just, there's so many awful things about it. Let's Let's yeah. hope thing, that doesn't have to yeah. be the case. I know we're running out of time, but real quick, I want people to understand that when we stop growing food and we import all our food, we no longer get to influence, A, how that food is grown, or B, how those people are taken care of who grow that food. So if we want to put these influences in, we have to make sure that farmers are profitable. And profitable is not an evil word. It just means that your business is yeah. successful. Yeah. Exactly right. April Clayton with Red Apple Orchards in Orondo. Hard news, but thank you for being willing to share uh, some of the details with us here on the program. Uh, th this is a this is a serious situation that, that people need to be taking very seriously and, and having an honest look at it. Thank you.